Hi, I'm Suparna Goswami. I'm Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group. I have with me today Scott Flower, who is former Global Intelligence Officer at FSISAC and now founder of Pareto Cyber. And today he will share his thoughts on OT security. Scott, so glad to meet you in person in Singapore. We have been chatting for a while now. So finally, great to meet you in person. Yeah, lovely. Thank you for the invitation and um, yeah, looking forward to having a chat. Thank you, Scott. So, Scott, why don't you give our audience a bit of background about your experience in the field of cybersecurity and even about Pareto Cyber, what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So, um, my background uh, in cybersecurity really comes from my, my past background working in uh, international security and criminology. So, I spent over a decade in academia as a professor working on transnational crime matters, terrorism most particularly. Uh, my PhD is in psychology and public policy. But I, I did spend between my master's and my PhD, I spent three years working as a spy for the Australian government at the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation known as ASIO. Um, and there while I was uh, working I was the lead analyst within the National Threat Assessment Centre or NTAC and I led assessments both information security assessments and, and physical security assessments for the banking and finance sector and for the oil and gas sector. So they were my responsibilities for not only um, assets and uh, people in Australia, but also Australian interests overseas. And so the, my latest uh, incarnation, I, I spent two and a half years at FSISAC, networking and fusing the intelligence from the financial sector in Asia Pacific. I mean, I uh, left there in, in March to set up a new business called Pareto Cyber, which provides uh, bespoke advice and support to CISOs and uh, to businesses, predominantly in the operational technology security space, but all sectors. But I th because I think that's an area of the uh, global economy where we're still uh, behind in cyber maturity uh, compared to the financial sector where I've been working for the last few years. Sure, so it's a fantastic background that you have. So. As we were speaking, Scott, OT security has long been spoken about and post the colonial pipeline uh, attack last year, it has taken the center stage. So how has the conversation changed in the past one year and in reality, have these conversations been put to practice? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Colonial Pipeline as a, as a trigger event and certainly it really woke people up in terms of the, the exposure or vulnerability of a lot of the critical infrastructure we depend on for our daily lives, you know, whether that's filling up your, your vehicle with fuel, whether it's turning the light on in your house, but it certainly was a trigger event. But I think more recently, um, the Russian invasion and war in Ukraine of course. and the very clear cyber dimension of the uh, attacks that Russia conducted um, you know on a lot of different parts of their national infrastructure their vital infrastructure whether that be their electricity grid their banking sector I mean there wouldn't be too many sectors that haven't been hit and operational technology was very much attacked and it's a, a sign that in the 21st century this is the new domain of warfare the fifth domain uh, and industri industrial control systems iot and ot are absolutely fair targets for nation states so that means the owners of critical infrastructure and you know the companies and it's always uh, private companies in the majority they are the ones who have to now defend themselves against potential nation-state attack and that really lifts the game in terms of what they need to be able to be doing. Your second part of your question, so that was that how has it changed but how have these conversations been put into place? Well I think we're, we're like uh, the person chasing the ambulance at the moment. I think we're just 
we're not even really sure in many of the verticals of operational technology, whether that be manufacturing, uh, energy, water, mining. Many of these verticals are still scratching their head trying to conceptualise what is the actual issue here? What are the range of security threats that we face? And then what do we need to do about it? We're still at that very much, uh, for most of these verticals, very much in the infancy trying to conceptualize the nature of threats and uh, what to do about it. So I think it's fantastic that these events like colonial pipeline attack and the Ukraine war, uh, the Russian invasion and the cyber warfare stimulated a lot of conversation. But I think now it's time to, for governments and for private sector to really rally around and deliver some tangible results to, to enhance and uplift maturity uh, when it comes to OT security. So we speak, keep speaking that OT security is important, how it is even tough to manage because of the legacy systems that are in place, but and probably I have spoken to practitioners, there is a confusion on who owns OT security, right? Well, yes, and I think it's very difficult to give a, a direct answer to you on this one, Sapana, because obviously we live in a world where we have still nation, sovereign nation states. And so, you know, regulation and regulatory impacts on operational activity has a real impact on the way we run businesses and we respond to op operational technology threats and secure our infrastructure. So it's very noteworthy, I feel, that uh, the recent uh, laws brought in by the Australian Parliament, for example, which provide very strict and clear guidance around what companies who, who have infrastructure that is deemed nationally significant, critical infrastructure, um, you know, there's huge compliance and regulatory burdens on them now to step up. But they're still very unclear because it's so new. Well, what specifically in operational terms, in mm. expenditure terms, does that mean for me and my business? So we're, we're very much having, in certain uh, jurisdictions, having uh, our behaviour for behavioral change forced upon us. Whereas in other countries, for example, say in New Zealand, where there's more of a guidance approach rather than a strict legal uh, enforcement type approach, directive approach, prescriptive approach, we, we have a different approach there. And, and equally, that's also vague and difficult for companies as well because the guidance is great, but they often companies need very clear examples and very specific terms because they don't want to trip over the law and be fined. So either way you go, there are problems, whether you go with very prescriptive regulation or whether you go with a more laissez-faire guidance type documents, there's unique problems for um, operational technology companies to be able to, to meet those expectations. So I think who owns OT security? In some countries, the, the government is stepping up to own it in some respects because if you look at Australia again, they're saying under the Australian laws that have just come in, they have the legal right if an OT, you know, a company looking after national infrastructure that is significant is under active cyber attack, they have the legal power to step in and take control of your infrastructure. Correct. Which is very, very interesting and may scare a lot of people actually because there's also no very clear, you know, you break it, you fix it regulation in there. So the government has the legal right to step in and take control to actively defend your the national infrastructure. But if they break it in the process, there's no uh, requirement that they pay the company for the liability of damaging that system or the failure to defend it actively or effectively. So 
this is ambiguity I think that's concerning many parts of, of all sectors I think now that this power is there so who owns it well in some countries the governments are stepping up to try and take more ownership they own it whereas in other countries it's very much on the private sector owner of that infrastructure so I can't give a catch-all answer it's very much a jurisdictionally based response but at the end of the day I personally believe that every individual employee of a company is actually an owner of our OT security because they have a profile that's digital they're on LinkedIn etc they have Facebook they have Twitter mm. They will be hunted out by a potential attacker, uh, by a potential threat in your sector, and they will be potentially exploited. Mm. So actually, everyone who works in operational technology in, in any vertical has a, an ownership responsibility to practice good cyber hygiene, to make sure they manage their digital footprint so they're not exposed to exploitation psychologically as an individual. I think those are, you know, that's the spectrum we're looking at. We're looking at government on one end of the spectrum, the company in the middle, and the individual employees at the other end of the spectrum. And it can vary uh, depending on the nature of the sector and the types of threat in that sector. So, but within company also, is it the CISO who directly owns OT security? Again, it's difficult. In some companies, um, especially companies that are now appointing a CISO to the board, hmm. because let's face it, sometimes a CISO sits under the CIO Correct. and doesn't have a representation on a board. Hmm. So the visibility of security matters to the board may be hidden behind a CIO if they don't have a board presence. Mm. So I think it's important to know where where the structures are in each company because that will determine within a company who has ownership. Um, but let's assume that the CISO is a, an executive on the board, then certainly in terms of strict accountability, yes, the CISO is responsible for the OT security in that company. Uh, and making sure the resources are there, the training is there, the systems are there. Mm -hmm. However, again, if, if a CISO is worth their salt, they will make sure that their own internal awareness and education and training campaigns internally with their people put responsibility on every single individual in the company. And I don't mean just the people who work in IT department or IT security, cyber security. Every single employee, whether that's a personal or an executive assistant to the CEO or, you know, PA to the manager, all of them have a stake in the ownership. Sure, they don't need to be professionals and experts in cyber, no, but they do need to know about their own psychological vulnerabilities to be exploited and they need to be aware of where they fit in the business and how they're responsible to OT and IT security. Fantastic. So many of the OT devices, as I mentioned before, use ancient oper operating systems which cannot be patched. What are some challenges of putting in place latest security practices in OT environment? Like you are interacting with practitioners out there, what are they talking about? I think, you know, when we're talking operational technology in sectors such as energy, uh, mining, manufacturing, I mean these are these are not post-modern sectors of the economy. Hmm. These are industrial era sectors. So they're not, they're not Digital natives, they're not, you know, they're coming to this with a very industrialized mindset, if you could say that. They're not coming to, to the security environment with a, a digital mindset or a modern, postmodern, uh, postmodern security mindset. So, first of all, they often have a lack of visibility of 
their own internal networks, but also how their own internal infrastructures connect externally. And they don't often have that very clearly and completely mapped. So I think the first problem is just within one organization, as one of these older organizations within OT, energy, mining, etc., mapping that out is really important. Because it's one thing to you know think, oh, we've got these vulnerabilities or we need to do this patching, but if you don't know the connectivity and you don't know the entire landscape of infrastructure you're managing and how it all works together and how it faces externally, then you're really in a blind spot. So I think visibility of systems is really important. There are challenges in in um, that flow from not knowing the mapping or connectivity, but I think also having a centralized system. Uh, and there are some vendors out there now who are doing quite quite well in terms of products and services that enable better active and proactive management of OT vulnerabilities and patching management. So I think I think on a technical front we are getting there. Again, to come back to I guess the purpose of Pareto and my focus on human human space and and that um, human element of of security. What is problematic in all organizations, not just operational technology, but all human organizations is internal bureaucratic barriers to change and power politics that prevent certain measures being taken place or certain access to information. Certain people in one company may not want to share information with another part of the business who may be responsible for vulnerability management and patching. So therefore, if they're not prepared to share information internally, then how can you possibly um, manage the security? So I think that's where there's got to be uh, an internal buy-in from the CEO and the board that very clear directions that we can't have political fiefdoms here, we can't have competition internally when it comes to this part of our security. And there needs to be a mandate from the, to the CISO across the business that they can access whatever they need to. Hmm. There is no constraint, and that's for the safety and security of the entire operation. And so uh, that it will go, I think, to a big part into rectifying these problems that we have around lack of visibility, lack of connectivity internally and externally. So, and we keep talking about automation, so I'm sure automation is also a little far away, like you're mentioning, that there are there is a problem of incorporating latest technologies in OT. So uh, is automation there or, or is it still very complicated to implement automation here in this part? Again, speaking just about the industries that we look at in OT right now, I think uh, automation of actual industrial controls, there's a lot of automation. But in terms of automation around the OT connectivity, so the mm. internet-facing dimensions of, of those industrial control systems and SCADA systems, I think that's where there's a bit of a gap. But yes, certainly within within industrial control systems themselves, there's a lot of automation. You know, that's been part and process of the evolution of technology on the hardware side. You know, switches and valves on pipes and and that sort of stuff. You know, automation's there. Um, but it, on that external facing into sensors, IoT space, that's very much new for this industrial elements of, of OT security. I think that's where there's a lot of um, work to be done in the future sure yeah and machine learning and um, ai is going to play a big role in that i think in in the next five years but when we're not there yet we've got a long way to go exactly since now you are advising companies on ot security from where should enterprises begin this process of say the next generation security security 2.0 i think for too long 
companies working in operational technology across all those sectors, energy, manufacturing, water, etc. They've been very isolated. They've been very much, and a lot of these, remember, a lot of these either are monopolies or oligopolies. So, for example, the Water Authority, who's charged with the responsibility for water catchment and pipelines, etc., they have a monopoly on that in a, in a geographic boundary, right? There's not lots of competition to drive. There's not lots of um, other entities that they can share with either. They mm. can't share intelligence. They can't. So I think the, the, if I was to say just the one thing to focus on is we need to help all of the businesses and, and public sector companies, etc., who are working in operational technology environments to collaborate more to realize that they're not alone in managing their, their infrastructure and that they actually have a lot of similarities with other operators who may be in another state or another country. And by joining a network where you can talk to personally, like meet and, and talk to on a daily basis, if need be for operational reasons, you can connect and you can share what you're seeing. You can um, discuss the way you're responding to an incident that you're seeing. So I think that's the, that's, fundamental i think for what we need to do we need groups like ot isac for example or for example dragos uh, who are an ot specific specific vendor they've just set up a, a cert cert team just to support small to medium enterprise i think that's a great initiative and so they're, they're very different entities one is more around actual operations and ot which is dragos the ot isac's more around sharing and building community and education and intelligence sharing resiliency so but i think those two things are, are very important for all companies or p public companies in this domain and they should be joining these networks to to realize they're actually not alone and they can leverage a lot of really good practices very quickly accelerate their own maturity by partnering and collaborating hmm. because we're not all isolated uh, we can be networked and and defend each other through a collective security arrangement. Excellent. This is such a fantastic topic we could go on. But uh, and please let us know what pain points are probably CISOs facing now in OT security. I think the, the first and foremost is CEOs and boards and CFOs of in in, you know, traditional parts of the economy, energy and, you know, like oil and gas and mining and manufacturing, they haven't really had to argue for budget. Hmm. You know, like that that it's kind of spending on IT, but then IT security has kind of been not a huge pressure on them. Hmm. And I think that is the single biggest problem for, for CISOs and, and CIOs as well, and, and CEOs to go to their shareholders with also if you go to that level. But it's actually making the business case for why we need to spend more on OT security in terms of um, threat intelligence, in terms of incident response, threat hunting, uh, the whole the whole range of activities. Because um, you know it it does come at a cost. It's not it's not free. And so when when boards and uh, CISOs are made to feel like this is a cost centre, then they've got pressure on them to actually not spend more. Actually, when there's a, the threat environment tells us actually now more than ever we need to be investing more and it's not a cost, it's actually paying off the future because if we're smashed by an attack in the future, we will potentially, we could go broke. I think, you know, look at, um, to look at a different sector, look at shipping and mm. ports, look at AP, Mola, Maersk and the Nompetia mm. attack, right? That nearly drove a massive global business out of business 
So you can't really say, in hindsight, you can go, oh, yeah, well, they need to spend more on OT security, mm. right? Shipping company. Absolutely. But this is the problem of human cognition. We discount the future for the now. And so we can't afford to do that. We should learn from case studies like Merck's and say, that nearly shut down a massive global business, which, mind you, during COVID, we depended on because shipping and logistics is under pressure right now. Imagine if Merck had gone out of business just before COVID hit. Yes. Imagine the greater disruption that mm. it would have had. Now they're, they're making so much money, they're so happy, right? <laughs> but they nearly went broke, mm. you know? And so other sectors should look at that and go, yeah, this is the reason why we need to get better at communicating. This is not a cost center. This is about protecting our future revenues and protecting our brand and protecting our business. It's actually, this is, you know, bottom line. This keeps us running and profitable. Sure. And so that's the challenge, I think, for CISOs and boards. They need to transform this cost mentality to actually this is all what we're all about now. We need to be sustainable from a security perspective a to, to keep making the money. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. It was lovely interacting with you in person. Great to meet you. There's nothing matches the in-person meet, no, no matter how many virtual meets we have. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate all the work um, that your group is doing to promote awareness and education in in well, in finance, but also in OT security. So thank you very much for all the work that you and your team do. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. You were listening to Scott Flower for ISMG. This is Suparna Goswami. Thank you so much for listening.